Hi, my name is Jessica Lee Gagné, and I'm the director of photography on Severance, and this is the Go Creative Show. Hello, and welcome to the Go Creative Show, a podcast for filmmakers. My name is Ben Consoli, and today we speak with Jessica Lee Gagné, director of photography of Severance on Apple TV+. Jessica, welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me. It's nice to be here. I have to say that I am completely and totally obsessed with Severance. And I know I'm not the only one. Critics are loving it. Everybody is totally into it. And our audience, we have so many questions today from our audience, probably more questions than and from any other show. Um, and for good reason. I mean, it looks amazing. The story is unique and it's it's great. And I just cannot wait to talk to you more about it. But before we get there, I want to very quickly uh, shine a spotlight on two of our brand new listeners. I want to thank you guys so much for writing us and giving us reviews on um, Apple Podcasts. Uh, it really does make a huge difference. So, uh, Timos Dalos, I hope I'm saying that name right. Jose Tapia, I hope I'm saying that name right as well, but I really appreciate your support. And for all of you guys out there, please, 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 if you love the show, and I know you do, go out there and give us a review on Apple Podcasts. It makes a huge, huge difference. I also want to thank Filmmakers Academy. Master your craft at Filmmakers Academy. Head over to gocreativeshow.com and uh, forward slash Filmmakers Academy, of course. You get 10% off with promo code GOCREATIVE10, and you'll learn more about them later in the show. And also follow us on your favorite podcast app, as well as Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook. All things Go Creative Show at gocreativeshow.com. So, Jessica, thank you so much for being on the show. I told you right before we started that I'm completely obsessed with Severance, and I think everybody is. You're seeing that online. So, opening question, what is going on? <laughs> what is happening on this show? <laughs> this is a crazy I, I, show. I can't tell you what's going on. <laughs> um, no, I can't really answer that question. I don't know where to start with that. It's uh, No, it's perfectly fine. I, I, I think what is so appealing about this show is that we don't have a lot of original ideas floating around in movie and TV right now. A lot of them are adaptations or, you know, reboots or sequels. So to find something that's very unique like this, that's really getting the attention and budget, I'm sure, that it deserves and uh, is a little bit of a rarity for us. And I think that's something that people are responding to. So I'd love to know from you, what drew you to this project initially? Uh, well, it's funny. I always have to tell people that I wasn't drawn to the project initially. <laughs> I didn't want to do it. So, um, I, Why? you know, it's not the way I did. I wanted to work with Ben again, you know, we did escape together and it was a great creative partnership, but, um, because it's an office and it's all top lit and there's no windows. And I love being able to change lighting setups and do things differently. I never light something the same way. So this was my worst nightmare. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's funny to hear that because that is like the bane of all of our existence that do corporate video work. It's like you hate going in and having to interview people against white walls. And you watch Severance and you're like, you know what? There is no excuse anymore. There is no excuse to not make white walls look amazing. It can be done. And you're you're now like the, the, the leader of the white wall experience. 
Well, we still tried to like give it a lot of different variety, even though it was white walls, you know, like any opportunity we could to have the lights be turned on or there's like an emergency light look, you know, and we're going to do it different in this setup. Oh, there's oh, you have there's other stuff that's going to happen that you'll see lots of colors to come. Um, but yeah, even like having the practicals on their desk, they they only like they only use them once in the entire show. But Fought, I fought for having that practical because I'm like, we're going to do a, something where this practical is going to stay on and it's going to be amazing. <laughs> like those were the things that would excite me. You know, that's what I had to work with. But you also had like incredible just set design and, yeah. you know, architecture. And like, I think the show has a lot of, it, it has a lot of, I guess, I don't know if respect is the right word, but it it's it seems like architectural photography to me when I when I look at this. And I don't know like the right terminology to it, but I feel like you there's a lot of attention paid to the full structure of the buildings and the way the roads sort of intermingle. And there seems to be quite a bit of that. Um, what was your visual inspiration for Severance? Well, I think for like the building kind of photography, uh, for me, Louis Baltz was a big one um, mm. in terms of photographers. There's two, he has, uh, we bought a box set, Ben and I, um, for this specific show. It's like this gray box set. I can't remember what it's called exactly, but one of the books is um, Sites of Technology. And it's actually empty space, like techno technology spaces, whether it's like server rooms or these weird office kind of spaces um, that are very techy and um, they're all empty. So that that's one of the books in the series. And then there's also books where it's just basically exteriors of really vacant, flat kind of buildings. Um, and every, you know, the lines are were always straight. It's very kind of Antonioni-esque a little bit as well. But um, we we were really inspired by that rigidity and look and kind of framed things a little bit that way. I mean, if you're talking about the exterior architecture, I definitely think like the Lewis Baltz thing was, was a way we went. Cause inside we were a little more, it's a little more quirky. It's a little more different, but the exterior is super rigid. Yeah. I'm looking at um, Lewis Baltz photography right now. I have never heard of this person and you look at this and you're like, Oh my God, yes. The inspiration for sure it seems like yeah. it came almost directly from this. And some of these shots, some of the building shots, my God, it's uh, there's such a beauty and a creepiness to it that is, yeah. it's a weird feeling um, when you look at these kinds of uh, structures in the way that they're photographed. Like there's nothing inviting or warm about them, but you kind of can't take your eyes off it. And that's sort of the way that I feel about the way that you approached the exteriors and the buildings in Severance. I mean- like what, just to stay on the outside for, for a moment, when we are outside, we are in the Audi world. You know, for anybody that's watching the show, you know what that means. Uh, so you're like the real lives of these characters. So you kind of have to balance, I'm assuming, the creepiness and the strangeness of the inside on the outside when you look at these structures, but not give too much away. So what was your technique to having these structures photographed in such an interesting way? Uh, well, technique, I'm not sure if it, like, more of maybe an approach, like the outside world in, in order to, I mean, to capture them straight. I don't really know how to describe, how to, so the I guess, what were you looking for? When you're shooting the big Lumen building and you want to create that, that strangeness that we're we're talking about and that you see in Lewis Baltz. 
How are you approaching that building? I think the way we were approaching the photography from the outside world was very austere. I could say like we were looking for, you know, especially the Lumen building for it to be cold and uninviting, but then at the same time, really shiny and pristine. And it had to feel, you know, you had to believe that this, corporation was big enough that it could do something like it was doing, you know, and then that it had actual like weight in the political world. So we, you know, it was about making it grand, making it feel really impressive. And I'm, this is an Aerosarinen building, by the way. So, um, it's, it's actually quite easy to make it look this way. We found such great locations that, you know, they, they kind of like led us to this path, (laughs) but, um, you could shoot it any which way and it had that presence just because the building was so good. So, I mean, I don't, I feel like I might be just taking too much credit when, if I say that we are the ones who really, you know, did that is the building was amazing. Yeah. Where, where were the buildings? Where were you shooting? Uh, That one, the Lumen building is in New Jersey. Uh, It's this place called Bell Labs in Mm Homedale, New Jersey. And the outside of Mark's house is in Nyack, and, and um, uh, Devin and Rickens is in a really amazing place where there's a bunch of um, um, homes. By, oh my gosh, I forgot his. Uh, I know this. <laughs> we we all know this architect. I forgot his name. Uh, well, he builds like homes around trees. Uh, right, Lord Wright. Franklin Wright. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, Devin and Rickens is in a, it's a street, I think it's called Usonia or something. Anyway, and it's all Frank Lloyd Wright houses, uh, except for Devin and Rickens is a disciple of Frank Lloyd Wright, I believe, who built that house. And, um, you know, it's it's a completely different environment because their world is also very different than Mark's world. So it's the only place where we really use tungsten and warmth, you know, and the rest of everything is kind of cold. and yes. Exactly. And I actually wanted to bring that up and we're talking about it now. So let's just go into it. Devin and Rickens house is, first of all, that set is amazing. Um, It still has that kind of like 60s kind of vibe to it, like that mid-century modern vibe that you see kind of throughout the series. But it is one of the only places where there's warmth, even in like the restaurant interiors. It's still not even that warm, but their house is incredibly warm. Why? I think it's to go with the character of Devin, you know, because it's kind of the only relationship that Mark has that has any warmth or any comfort. Or you see him kind of in another other zone that he's not in any other world. So it really makes that like a little bit of a welcoming cocoon kind of environment for him. Um, And that was also something Ben requested early on because he never really likes um when i like with warmth which i tend to avoid it just because it's not something that he enjoys which you can see in escape and you can see in this show it tends to go cool i mean i'm embracing that as well but um yeah the relationship between mark and devin just wanted to be different from anyone else you know it was interesting to put that character who's so awkward and strange in a warm environment there so there was that contrast yeah, and I think that makes sense just emotionally that that is like probably the most real relationship that Mark has, certainly the most warm and familial. Um, but then he also has these sort of other relationships on his outside world that are uh, that sort of represent themselves as dark and cold, but in kind of a contrasty way. Like you're seeing a lot of contrast, you're seeing a lot of darkness in his outside in Mark's outside world. Um, 
And talk to me about that. And let's start at his home, because I think that that certainly tells a lot about who he is in the outside world. But there, at least of the episodes I've seen so far, there it's dark and it's contrasting. Yeah, well, I think we wanted it to feel like if there was a light on or if there was lights in the apartment that were used, it was because he had to turn them on to see. The idea was like this character didn't want to create an environment. And I worked with the set deck um, team to do that with Sheila and Andy. And it was about finding practicals that would work for us, you know, in, in a visual sense and also in a lighting sense. But that if he goes into his house, the only way you see him is because he turned on a practical, you know, like it would never have like an uh, ambiance, which is very different than Devin and Rickens. They have an ambiance, like they're the type of people who enter their house and like Rick and would turn on 15 lamps to set the mood, you know, for the particular energy. But Mark doesn't bother. So if there's a light on, it's because he needs it to see. What was the strategy or, or I guess why was the decision made for Mark's house to be completely devoid of, I guess, personality? Uh, what did that mean to the character and how did that affect the way that you shot and lit it? I mean, it affected the frame a lot. Um, in terms of lighting, I don't know that it affected us that much, but it, it made it, it gave options of being very, gave the possibility of being very graphic in terms of lighting, you know, and being very angular and very directional with light, which I love to do. I like with a lot, a lot of direct light. I, I, I rarely ever bounce anything. Um, so it gave space, it made like, it was like a blank canvas basically, but the reason for it, um, and this went back and forth a lot in prep, you know, there was, it was a big discussion between the show, the showrunner, Ben and the production designer, whether did we want traces, uh, oh, I don't know if I can talk about this. You're at episode five, right? When is this airing? <laughs> it, don't, I, I guess, don't worry about it. What episode would it be that you're... I guess concerned with seven. There's a huge reveal in seven, but I'm like, okay. So can you talk can about say, it vaguely without it so that we don't have to? Yeah. yeah I'm, I don't want to say the name like, okay. So, um, the reason why it's bare is because we don't want to reveal too much about, um, Mark's wife. And you want to, he, they didn't know whether they wanted traces. Like would he, would this character have packed everything up and put it all in boxes? Kind of like how he seems to have done right now. Like in the basement, you know, things are packed away and tried to forget because he's trying to forget this whole world. But there was a conversation about like, oh no, do we leave, you know, here? Like, do we want to feel like there was a frame on the wall at one point, you know, and that there's like the traces of light with time? Yep. Or is this a new place that he moved in after? Like, these are all questions um, that Ben um, asked himself with the showrunner, Dan, and with Jeremy, the production designer. Yeah, it's amazing how much you can learn from this character by having really nothing in the house. It makes everything that is in the house that much more important. Um, and I think you guys do a really great job of keeping that place. Like, you, you understand it's him, but there's nothing there. There's like no reason to be there, which is kind of the essence of the show is that he's sort of trying to forget uh, a hurtful part of his life. Um, let's transition now to the inside of Lumen world, like his severance, the severance part of his day. Um, you had mentioned at the top of the show that 
it was a challenge for you because there's so many white walls and everything is top lit. Um, I think you certainly you know, overcame that challenge and then some for sure. But let's just kind of circle back to that. When you know you're now shooting tons of white walls, tons of open space and top lights, what are the things that you're thinking about? What are the concerns that you have? Well, firstly, I think it's narratively, you know, how can we, like I mentioned before, like how can we add details in this script that we can modify this, you know, like add add moments where the characters are interacting or giving us a reason for the lighting to change. So we did a lot of that. Um, the other thing is like, technically, I really have to get into it, you know, and um, I knew that they wanted to do a color for the carpet. So <laughs> that was going to be the other thing, like green carpet, white walls, interesting combo. Um, so we did lots of testing. Um, and also the camera, the camera was going to be extremely, the, extremely important. You know, we needed something that wouldn't have a look, um, that the raw, that would be imprinted extremely hard in the raw, you know, that like that I would have wouldn't be able to take the green out easily of the whites. Like that's actually a really challenging thing to do and it would throw everything off. And we had to get everyone like on the same page with regards to, okay, what is it going to look like after the grade? How the costume is going to be affected? How's this carpet going to be affected? Cause we were going to have to do a huge pull of green out of the look to be able to kind of have the whites be white. And they're like a cool white, you know, because we tend to like things a little bit cooler. So everything wasn't, when you looked at something by eye, it rarely translated the same way on camera, um, which was interesting. But yeah, we went with the Sony Venice because I think it's, first of all, one of the cameras that handles contrast the best, the, the way it hi- handles highlights and HDR is amazing. If people can view this show in HDR, I have to say it's really impressive. Um, really? Because you rarely get to see a show with this much white. But if you have a proper television setup and you have HDR, and even watching it on iPads, um, it's actually quite good. But the resilience, like the, the the vividness of the image when we were grading, I was kind of stunned by it. I feel like the Venice was really able to capture that richness and that contrast and hold up the whites in a way that was alive. Um, cause Ben does like contrast a lot. So I, I definitely have to, we have, we have to crank it in post and it can be a little scary cause we're like riding super high in the, in, in the highlights and you don't know what people's televisions are set, but if they're set in like slightly bright, you're screwed with severance. <laughs> but I'm like, yeah, hey, don't you know, do- severance is not a show you're going to play at, at, at Best Buy when you walk and just see all the TVs playing. It's not going to happen. No, it's, it's super, and it, I went crazy during the grade. I was just, I was watching the trailer on different televisions, every television I could get my hands on. And I, I kept, I was calling the colors. I'm like, oh my gosh, her skin tone, like it looks extremely red. It's against white. And imagine the colors having to match all these walls. So we worked with Drew and Tom at Company 3 and they're amazing. Um, but the amount of work that that was, also we're shooting vintage lenses from Panavision C-Series and some old zooms and nothing matches. Uh, it was like a DIT and colorist worst nightmare also. I'm surprised to hear you were using vintage lenses because there's such a Christmas to it and like almost like a, um, like a, oh, what, what is the word? Like a sterile, sterile, I don't know the word for that, but there's like this sterile, sort of nature about the place that just seemed to me like it would lend itself to like the crispest, sharpest lens possible. It's interesting to hear that you guys chose vintage. 
Well, I think we could have shot it spherical and sharp and super clean. I mean, we had a very varied package. Also, like the big wides were shot spherical just because we didn't want to do like we didn't want bending. That wasn't something we were trying to achieve. We weren't trying to like make it look anamorphic for anamorphic. But um and it wasn't important to make it look like film either. We were not that was not a goal of ours. Um we didn't add any grain on it. I was shooting 2500 ASA, which I usually shoot with the Venice. Um but still, texture for me is extremely important. And texture comes from the lenses mostly, you know. So you, you, the way the image is, you know, tangible to me comes through a lot through the lens. And the, the fact that we had the C-series mostly it kind of just gave us that middle ground, you know. It's crisp because it's white on black, I think that's where you're getting the crispness of it. It's the nature of the image as well, like what we're shooting, but, and the contrast, but the lens kind of helps buffer that a little bit, because I think if it was spherical and super, super sharp, it would be so aggressive, you know, like you would, it would almost feel like it'd be etched. So I don't, I don't know what that would really look like. I don't think there are any shows really shot like that that I can like refer to, but I think that the C series kind of helped soften some things down a little bit, you know? I want to take a moment and talk about one of my favorite courses on Filmmakers Academy and it's called Corporate Cinematography. I love it because I do a ton of it. And it's also packed with tips that are inexpensive and easy to implement. And I wanted to bring the, the trainer for that course, Shane Herbert, on to give us one tip that I think you guys are really going to like. So Shane, welcome and tell us about this uh, black table clock, uh, tablecloth tip. Yeah, absolutely. So you're always going into these uh, rooms where, you know, it's it's white room, white walls everywhere. And like, yes. how do you control that? How do you get any shape uh, of light? So what I've done is uh, you can go right to um, any party store and you can get black plastic tablecloth. And this stuff is amazing. It's so lightweight. You can tape it right to the ceiling, right to the walls, and it just pulls off so nicely. It's incredibly uh, matte as well, so it doesn't have a sheen to it. And now you're starting to shape that light. You're starting to control it, and it makes your image and your uh, close-ups so much better. The entire course is packed with tips like this, so check it out for yourself. It's all there at filmmakersacademy.com. One of the things I, I wanted to ask you about is how you handled skin tone in that space with so much kind of white, top light, very little contrast. I mean, I know you're creating contrast, but it doesn't really exist in that space very much. Um, and you need to have, you can't really have the colors drained out of people's faces. Um, was that a challenge for you? And if so, like what, what were some of the ways that you overcame it? Well, we shot a lot of three camera days. Um, and in that set for, I love shooting multiple cameras. It's something I'm really, really into, um, in television. Cause I like being able to give the director as many options as possible. You know, we'll like watch the rehearsal, write down the shots. And, and basically if there's a camera doing nothing, I'm like, okay, what, what can we do with you? Like go find a shot or like, Oh, there's this over here. And you know, sometimes Ben will find something over here. And we're really like collaborating as a team to make it the most rich possible experience. And like editorially Ben uses a lot of shots. So you know, it really kind of like gave, gave that, and you can change the rhythm of a scene when you have those options. But 
to get back to the skin tone thing, having the three cameras gunning with three different lenses, like I couldn't really do much on set. Yeah. It was going to become a grading thing. And that's what's so amazing about the color grade. You can do so much. Like I don't, I don't go crazy about that. I think if I was shooting film, I might struggle a little bit more because it can, sh- it can sh- like veer off more. But um, you really get to know the, you, you really get to know the makeup people and, and you have discussions like that's, that's your main tool. You know, I know certain actors, we were like, oh, okay, he's a little greener yeah, definitely more olive skin tone, but you want to keep their skin tone. So you have to find that middle balance. The first episodes are usually a little tougher, like episode one. I mean, this was a lot of this was block shot, but the first block of episodes, we were learning how to shoot these, these characters, you know, and. And even Patricia, it took me a while to like learn how to shoot her in this character and the way her face was and certain expressions that they're doing. And everyone's very different and their faces are super different. They cap light differently. So you kind of like, you end up favoring someone sometimes, which is annoying, but that does happen. And and if, if, if there's a problem, I'm like, okay, well, this lighting setup is not working for this person. Ben, can we lose a camera? And then I can do this, you know, and then we make those calls together. Um, and the ceiling, I have to say, was designed for Adam, like Adam's face, because early, early on, the first time I got to shoot him, it's kind of like a screen test moment. I uh, I noticed the his how his forehead was made and how his eyes were slight were pretty deep set, and I was very worried about not seeing his eyes. There, I had done a setup that was top lit, just like a desk top lit setup. I'm like, oh my gosh, we don't see his eyes. So when talking with Jeremy, for me, what was important was that this this hero ceiling needed to work for him. So we needed to do something that had big squares and was very vast in terms of, you know, um, like it had to feel like a soft box in the hallways. I'm like, hallways are fine. We're moving. It's okay. It, it can be that what it is, but I didn't want it to be like small, uh, spotty, you know, just fluorescence. Like I wanted to feel as wide as possible. Even the first version of ceiling that he really, that Jeremy, like the squares were smaller and I pushed, I was like, can we have bigger squares? I want bigger squares. <laughs> but, um, yeah, what in the end, the bigger, I mean, what did the bigger squares afford you that the smallest squares didn't? Well, the more surface area that you have in front of an actor, the deeper the light's going to go into them, into their eyes. So, you know, if you, it's like, if you're top lighting someone, but you can, you can push forward that light. It's going to go more frontal, you know, so you're balancing that out. And all of our, our ceiling, each single tile is a different sky panel. So the gaffer would go and turn the one, if there was like a light right above someone, he could tone it down, you know, and be looking, oh, okay, is this, and then we would sometimes tone the ones that were in front of them brighter and just put like a bounce board to just kind of help direct it. Um, we would rarely bring a light and put it in, in front of them. Sometimes we did, but most of the time, every time I, I notice it, you know, I'd be like, ah, it's like, you can tell. And, and then, then you start having flags and chimeras and then you can't, you can't do the three camera thing anymore. So it's a perfect balance in that world. Um, but it's not always easy. And sometimes you may, you have to choose what the compromise is going to be, but that ceiling was great for, for, for being able to, you know, react fast. So, yeah, I was going to ask you if you were using any sort of fill light. Sounds like no, whenever you could, but you were bouncing occasionally and throwing yes. some boards in there. Yeah. I imagine we that having- from, um, from a ceiling, you know, panel usually. So. Oh, okay. So everything was still coming from the top. Yeah. I mean, there's maybe a couple moments where we would bring out like a sky panel with a chimera that we would put through another frame, you know, like a four by frame, but it was rare. 
did having that that it's not really a limitation, but I just can't think of another word. But by making the decision, it's we're only going to have the top light. That's that's the look of the show. We see them. We know that there's ceiling lights. That's people get it. The audience will get it. Did it speed things along for you? Like, were you able to shoot a little more, shoot a little faster, move things along, give the actors more freedom? What other things kind of came from that decision? Well, it definitely enabled us to do the multi-camera stuff. Like, that was huge. And I think that had a ginormous impact on the show. Huge. Um, mm. When we, though, I have to say, like, in, in opposition to that, I would always tell the ADs, you know, MDR, we got it. We're going to get it done. It's going to be fine. When we go to that house, I'm going to need some time. So often <laughs> what would happen is well, we would be shooting a scene in MDR, and I would be lighting with the gaffer in the other, in the other um studio space and we, we would even bring like uh bring a, our third body and dump it there and the dit set up a whole network system luke who i love um he set up a whole network that we could have the image in another studio and i could be there you know looking at lighting and we'd be, we would have time to actually have fun and develop something because those moments in the house for me even though there are not that many scenes they were gold and i really wanted them to be special also huge challenge we shot them before the exteriors and um i didn't want like to me the, the weather was already clear before we did the show i knew the first episode was sunny the second episode i wanted fog and we actually got fog which oh, is wow. insane That's but that amazing. was yeah, we had a mood board in our hallways um, where I, every single scene had like a little cluster of images. And then Antonioni's Red Desert was like the episode two when he goes to the greenhouse. Like I was like, we need fog. And it turns out it was like the foggiest day of the year. <laughs> um, and the poor crew, we had to wake up so early to get the fog. I fought for it. I felt horrible, but um, didn't, do, didn't do it again after that. <laughs> Anyways, um, we even reshot a scene that was in the car of him driving because it was sunny. And then Ben was like, no, we can't. We got to reshoot this. And I'm like, yeah, okay, great. <laughs> yeah, I can, um, I, I can imagine that once you get into that rhythm of moving quickly, everyone's kind of like, okay, this is the pace. We're doing this many pages. Per and you're like, no, 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 no. <laughs> I need more time to light in these other spots. Um, we made time and the crew made it work. You know, the camera department made it possible for me to put a camera in there and, and the grip and the gaffers had extra guys. And we figured out a way to like get that specialty lighting time because we wanted it to every moment to be really special. But it's absolutely crazy lighting the way we did without knowing the weather that we were going to get. You know, absolutely insane. I did not know we were going to get one day of sun or one day of snow or anything, but like we shot everything to match and then on locate we were one week on that location for mark's house so we block shot the nine episodes in one week wow and um every day i was changing the orders changing i was like okay no we're gonna shoot this scene like scene from and the actors had to be aware uh ben and the ad were super up for it which was so helpful because like sometimes you just get a no we're shooting this in order which i understand and i always ask but ben really cares about visuals so he is all in for this and the actors were so helpful. I mean, Adam is the, is the dream. Like he has no problem. You know, he's like, Oh, you need that to do that. Okay, great. You know, uh, which is for DP amazing. Cause if I knew the next day it was going to snow, I'd be like, okay, we're going to shoot that scene. And then, you, you know, when it's going to be sunny, we're going to do this one. And some get sacrificed. The scene where Rickon comes and brings the, the book to the house, I'm never going to be happy with because I wanted it to be super sunny that moment and it wasn't, but you know. Does that, does that type of stuff bother you? Like when you look back at any, not just this project, but other projects, are there little things that you're like, oh, I wish we could have, does stuff like that yeah, gnaw at no, you? I, 
I think every DP has that. Like, I think <laughs> there are shots I can't look at. And every time I see them, I'm like, oh, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> but it's horrible that. that we're like that because, you know, you do that in front of a director and it's horrible because they don't, they don't feel that way at all. <laughs> they need to, you really have to hold that back as a DP. I don't think it's a good move. <laughs> We've got a question from Instagram, Daniel Tubin. I love this, and we're kind of around this topic right now, too. He wants for you to discuss your relationship with the gaffer, uh, with your gaffer and how you developed lighting plans. I never draw lighting plans. Um, I used to. I don't do it anymore. Um, for me, lighting is all about experiencing it. And, you know, when you're a lot of this is stage stuff. So um, all the stage moments, which I can, I guess is the most interesting to talk about, you know, with my relationship with the gaffer, um, before we shoot, like before we go to picture, I always ask for a lot of testing and a lot of even lighting, lighting, I don't know what to call it, you know, uh, lighting workout, uh, where it's the gaffer and I, and we just do setups and then we take screen grabs. So we'll have the camera there and we'll be like, okay, today we're going to do scene five, episode three. Let's do it. Let's light it. So we'll, mm -hmm. you know, we have all the lights there. They're in the studio and we just try setups. And I sit there and I watch the light as he's doing it. It annoys a lot. Some gap, like it can really bother some gaffers. Why? But I like, to well, because I understand, like I'm the same way with the director when they like come look at a shot and I'm not done. I'm like, it's not done. It's not done. Don't come. Oh, I see. You're saying you're yeah. watching it as it's being built. Yeah. yeah, yeah so yeah. I'm, I'm the worst with them, you know, because I don't like it when a director does that to me. But I'm so picky with light. I need to see it because while the light's going up, if it's perfect at the moment where it's going up and it's before like where they want to end the stand or whatever, sometimes that's where you need to stop. And if I'm not there, they don't always know that. So at the beginning, I'm super, super intense and super present. And I'm like, oh, wait, what is that? There's a little line on the wall. And Severance says a lot of this. There's like little hits of light and little details and little things. And those are sometimes it's a kick off the back of a light hitting a stand in the far end of the, of the studio. I mean, we did this test shot that we were never able to recreate. The one thing about doing these tests is sometimes you can, you can't do it as good as the first time you did it. So that's mm. a little painful, but there was this Chinese lantern that was like really far off the set somewhere. And we were shooting an angle where we would see outside of Cobell's, window into Mark's house so we could see the top of his roof and technically it's studio it's just black studio up there but someone had a lantern like I think it was the dimmer board op had a lantern in the deep deep space and it looked like the moon from far away and it was the most amazing thing and we were and then like Kurt was my gaffer and that we were like what is that what is it and it took us forever to figure it out and then we were never able to recreate it after <laughs> <laughs> but, um, so a lot of it's accidents and experimenting and, you know, not putting up every flag and floppy up before you, you know, finish lighting. So if you put a light up, I'm like, just put the light up. Don't put the flag before, you know, put the light. Let's see what happens. And then we take away what we don't like, you know, because then you're going to start putting diffusion and other things. And then you sometimes you lose stuff. So I do one thing at a time, even though like Mark's house is lit by on average, like five. Five twelve k HMIs. There's space lights. There's some sky panels going in directly on the side. There's sky panels on the top. There's a lot, a lot of lights. And then, because I light a lot with HMIs for day scenes in interior studios, usually we don't need to light the backdrop because there's so much spill light. So um, I don't know. All these things are kind of like a hot mess, but it gives what it is in the end. I love that. I want to talk about the shot that transitions between unsevered to severed. 
This is kind of the iconic shot of the series. Everybody's talking about it. Everyone's asking about it. What is your approach to that shot? How is that happening? Well, in the elevator, um, usually it's this thing called the Cooper uh, motion control made thing <laughs> by Anthony Jacques, who's a, um, a guy who specializes in, in um, motion control stuff. He I think he created this for Wolf of Wall Street and it's, he has like a software and a computer and it looks like an Excel sheet, honestly. And there's just points. <laughs> it's, um, what's different from a lot of motion control stuff though, is that it's half operated by human and half by um, this computer. So it's a la- it's, it's, it works with a laser. If you're pushing the dolly forward, which is human operated, um, it's calculating a distance on the ground. And when it's mapping out this distance, it's compensating with the zoom. So if your dolly is going faster, the z- it's called a zolly ultimately. Like it, the zolly will change speed as well. So it's adaptive. Um, we, tr- we tested out a bunch of different things. Like we also did the bolt arm, but then it was really dangerous getting like that close to the actors. And it took a long time, you know, finding the right zoom because you had to find the one that, you know, shows you the shift well enough. So you're working more on the wide end of the zoom. You're not really going to go. It's not really worth doing like a 300 mil zoom, you know, you're going to operate between, we chose a 19 to 90 from Panavision and we basically were between the 19 to 30 millimeter world. Um, and one of the shots was also done with the techno dolly, uh, the one, that, one that wrapped around. I don't think, I don't know that that's even in the show that one. Um, and then the whole sequence with Brit, we did a bunch of different, like when she's going in and out of those doors, there's a lot of different zollies in there as well. Um, yeah. some of those were manual, some of those are remote controlled. Um, yeah, there's a lot of different ones, but it's the, it's the good old zolly. And the idea was that we were changing from our exterior studio, long lens, more approach to this like wide, weird angle, underground surveillance kind of feeling that we had, but in the same shot, you know? So that's why we were optically changing without changing like the, the space above and underneath like the head of the actor. So you can see their face change. Yeah, it's such a great shot, and you guys use it in, in in a really good way where people, you understand it immediately, where you are, what's going on. And understanding where you are is kind of a key challenge in this entire series. I mean, I've never known less about a show that I've been more obsessed with. Like, we nobody knows anything, but you just can't stop watching it. And I think one of the things about the show is this idea of mystery of trying to discover new things. I mean, you're going through a journey as a viewer as they are in the series. And I think the the, the location that's the most, um, uh, that, that really describes this feeling is the hallways. I mean, these hallways are, it's a maze. You never know what's going on. You're always kind of confused. You just don't know where you are. And I'd love to hear the way that you sort of made those hallways feel that way, always being disconnected, never really knowing what was happening. Well, I have to give props to the production designer because he pushed. So our sets are built wall to wall in these studio spaces. It was a maze just getting into the set. Like you had to go in and go through hallways to get to the middle set. Um, But he made it that, you know, any inch of that studio that could have been used to be a corner or a hallway or a path, it was it was on him. Like he made it a 360 thing. We even had to pull out, like to make it not as bad and not as claustrophobic some days when we weren't using the hallways, they would pull out the, um, one of the, I can't really explain because you wouldn't know, but like one of the hallways would be like lifted, you know? Um, yeah. 
And also, like during COVID, it was the worst time to be uh, doing this. But, you know, <laughs> That's true. It, it was really hard. It was really hard on the crew. We were constantly in this super oppressive space. Uh, is definitely challenging. But Jeremy gave us as many hallways as he could fit, and then it was up to like Ben and then sometimes me also to just try to see, okay, how are we going to reinvent it? How are we going to make it look different? There's some areas where we had green screens uh, to kind of like cheat it a little bit. But it was it was often, you know, what the production designer built and just shooting it in a different way that would just make it look completely different. And we could get away with it because they're just white hallways. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's so great. I love the guy, the way you guys did it. Uh, I know you only have a few minutes left, so we're going to speed round this because we've got so we have more questions about this show from our audience than any other show we've ever featured on the podcasts in 300 something no episodes. So there is something going on with this show and people just are really, really loving it. So real quick, um, Storylit Films on Instagram wants to know, uh, they're noticing a lot of horizontal and vertical divides in the framing of the show to support what Storylit Films thinks is the themes of separation and division. The question is, is that something you were looking for in all of the scenes or were there just specific ones where you were trying to really lean into that divided kind of feel? Uh, I mean, it was definitely something we did a lot, a lot, everywhere. I think we were constantly looking for it. Um, there's another, and th there's two books also that were really, really important. The, there's this one obscure book by Lee Freelander that's really unknown, and he did a photo series, black and white photo series about a town somewhere in the U.S. that, um, I don't know what they were building, but they were building like this kind of like weird robotic or like computer chip thing, and it's all photos of people working at their desks obstructed by things it was absolutely amazing photography very lee freelander but then he also took pictures of um that town where those people worked and there would always be like a weird pole or like a thing in the way and i think those things were just some, something we really embraced it's funny because usually this is the type of thing ben would hate you know he's so square and like <laughs> but like in this show you're like oh wait this is so good you know and with the dividers we could do so many things it was just uh there it was kind of never ending the amount of shots we could do in these spaces very inspiring sets and Lars Thunbjörk is another uh, photographer that I mention a lot that's actually the book that when I found it I understood what this show could be visually because I didn't get it at first I mean Ben saw something I didn't get it um, I mean, he like definitely like, got the tone and the humor and all these things. I'm like not a funny person at all. And I wasn't like <laughs> connecting to the script like he was. Like I needed to connect to something visual. But then this book um, called Office, it's just weird shots of people, you know, and they're often cut off or like you don't see their face or they're, you know, like a, it. we were constantly looking for that. Yeah, I, I absolutely love that. Um, okay, a couple of things. I'm, I'm noticing some of these questions have already been answered. Tom Meredith, I see you here. How many cameras? We talked about it. Matt Sweeney, motion control, we talked about it. Um, uh, Brenton, we talked about real sets versus the what was real, what was not. We talked about that too. Um, relationship with the gaffer, working with Ben Stiller. I mean, people really want to know what that experience is like. Um, Tom Meredith, among a few others on Instagram, just, I know we talked a little bit about your relationship with him and how you worked with him, but what's it like? Uh, demanding. I mean, he's a demanding director, but I appreciate that. You know, when you're a DP, you want to work with people that like want quality and, and want good, good results. Like you, cause when you don't have that, you just spent so much time of your life on something, uh, for no reason almost. But, 
I think that it's super collaborative. He leaves a lot of space for people to create with him. Um, he always makes the right decision, you know, but he definitely like puts you through a moment where you're, you know, you have to, you have to have options and you have to be on your feet and you have to like know how to react and, and, He's constantly trying to make it better. That's one thing that's really interesting. And you can't take that as like, it can't affect your ego. You have to understand that when someone's constantly talking about your work, trying to make it better, you're, it's a positive thing because ultimately you're going to look better, you know? So there's definitely that component that I really respect in him. That he's always trying to make it better. And you don't, he doesn't know where exactly that's going to come from. He like feels things out and then he just goes for it. But he's so attuned. And honestly, to see a director be able to manage three cameras, because I can manage three cameras visually, but manage three cameras on three different actors. Uh, and they're, they're, you know, they're doing their thing. And then being able to communicate with them and, and d- direct them, I have to say it's very impressive. And it, it makes me want to be better at my job when I work with him because I'm pushed to, you know, give the best that I can do. I can imagine. Christopher Walken. I mean, let's talk about it. <laughs> I mean, I was so intimidated. <laughs> <laughs> Did you freak out the first day? That, that's got to be something where you're like, oh my God, I can't believe, what, what, is, what is going on? How is this my life now? <laughs> well, I, I never really get that. I don't know. I'm not that intimidated by actors, but I have to say, I think he's probably the one at least one of the most intimidating ones I've worked with, but it's just his aura. He's so calm and so composed. I mean, he's I just didn't want to bother him, honestly. I don't think I I don't know that I can say much about the the the, the man's really impressive. The details, you know, the if you really watch his performance, which sometimes I'm I get mad at myself that I can't watch performance as much on on sets because of the three cameras and all these things happening and there's second unit and I'm like managing a bunch of other stuff. But his attention to detail, like he knows where the camera is. He's super sensitive to the energy in the room. Um, yeah, he really commands respect and, and it's, it's beautiful to watch. My last question for you is lessons learned. I mean, this is a, certainly a unique show. I mean, we talked about it throughout this entire hour, all the things that are different about it. Is there something that you learned on this set, on this show that, you'll take with you to future projects? It was a really long project. Like I worked on it for two years. Um, I think, you know, sometimes it gets tough and we did it during COVID, which was hard for everyone. Hard to, to have to, you know, go to work every day, get tested, be in this space, not be able to be friendly with the people that you've been friendly before and not to be able to eat together. It really made it difficult. Um, and because it was such a long show and we were shooting nights at winter in winter, we just had like a series of things that were tough to deal with. And I think sometimes it did get to me. Um, I, I feel like I could have done a better job at being um, positive. You know, I'm definitely a realist and a really intense person. And when I don't, you know, when I'm not happy with something, it can show. I think that like I, when we did reshoots later, you know, when we, we came back, um, after COVID for like a week of reshoots and stuff like that, I came back and I had had a break, like I'd had a month off and I came back and I was like a different person. And I noticed how everything was so much easier. I think as a DP, you have to always remember that you have people working with you directly with you and they want to be inspired by you as well. 
you know it's not just the director and the actors you're also someone who has to like transmit that energy and um yeah I think it's something that I I want to try actively to work on and be better at and I think this show really reminded me like that I need to like work on that I love that well the show is called severance it's on apple tv plus right now um As of taping, I think there's only like four or five episodes out, so there's still quite a few to go, and I'm just so much looking forward to where this story goes. I have a feeling I'm still not going to know what's going on, even after (laughs) after we finish all the episodes, but I love the journey, that's for sure, and we really appreciate you coming on, so thank you so much. Thank you. I want to thank Jessica Lee Gagne for coming on and talking to us all about my obsession, Severance, on Apple TV+. I cannot wait to find out what is going on with this show. Um, I also want to thank Filmmakers Academy. Thank you guys for sponsoring the show and supporting Go Creative Show. We love you at Filmmakers Academy. Uh, You can master your craft over there by heading over to gocreativeshow.com forward slash filmmakersacademy. And don't forget to use promo code GOCREATIVE10 for 10% off. Um, I want to give a special shout out to uh, Jose Tapia, who gave us a phenomenal review on Apple Podcasts, and it makes such a difference. I am only two episodes in, so a brand new listener, thank you. And it's one of the best filmmaking and cinematography podcasts I ever came across. The host, Ben, is super on top of his game and extremely knowledgeable, getting some great interviews out of our famous DPs and other crew. Um, We love doing this show, obviously. We've been doing it for years, over 300 episodes, and it just means so much to us that uh, we have new listeners coming in and really appreciating it. So, Jose, thank you, thank you, thank you. And for those of you guys out there listening, it really helps if you leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. Communicate with us on YouTube, Instagram. We are here. We are ready to discuss with you all things Go Creative Show, filmmaking, and anything you want to throw at us. You can find us on all of those on all those platforms. I want to thank Connor Crosby for producing the show. You can find him at ignitionvisuals.com and Dave Siegel at siegelsound.com for mixing and mastering and making the show sound so good. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube where you can not only hear the show, but see the show. All things Go Creative Show at gocreativeshow.com. And if you want to follow me and what I'm doing, uh, shoots are really starting to heat up in my world, so I'm going to be posting a lot of behind the scenes. You can find me at Ben Consoli on Instagram. Thank you for joining us today, and we will see you next week on another episode of the Go Creative Show, a podcast for filmmakers. Filmmakers.